But every time that the man does that song and it gets to the end of that with that slow build, our God is God who saves, at the end of it, he always goes, yeah, at the end. And, and the entire band goes, <laughs> and so Mike and I were sitting in the back and we're going, because my wife's sitting standing right here, right? And I'm like, oh, here it comes, here. And he didn't do it. And we're like, bummer. <laughs> so I totally want to see her flinch. It's great. Can we do it now? No. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, just a heads up uh, about the shack that the Women's Book Club is reading. Uh, the reason we're actually going through it is it's kind of one of those controversial books that are out there today. A lot of Christians are reading it thinking it's great. A lot of conservative Bible teachers hate it. And so we're actually going to go through it and cover a lot of questions and stuff about it. And since it's big and it's out there, we thought we'd just cover it for you so you guys aren't in the dark. So there you go. Uh, my mom, great way to start a sentence, right? Uh, my mom is in charge of the cleaning thing that takes place. Now, we, we don't have any money, so we don't really pay anybody to do anything. And um, so all the, the cleaning stuff, it's all volunteer. It's all volunteer. And if you would like to do something, you don't know what to do, you're trying to look for something, we could always use people to help clean at Element. You Right now, I think some of them only do it once a month and things like that. So it would only be like maybe once a month for you. If you would like to help out and do that, there's a sign-up sheet in the back. You can put your name on it. She'll call you. And we're just trying to get more people doing it so people have to do it a little bit less and stuff. So... There you go. Uh, I, I, I've been on, first time here. Welcome. Uh, I've been on vacation the last couple of weeks, and I didn't break anything. I have no cast. I, I would ask if you missed me, but then if you didn't, we're like, no, I'd be like, what a bummer. So I'm not asking that question. But I will tell you a story. So we're, we're in Tahoe, and one day we decided not to go snowboarding. We were going to go snowmobiling. And so we go to this place to rent some snowmobiles. And the first thing you do is you fill out this big old thing and they and then they say do you want the insurance <laughs> well if you ever rent a car you get your credit card and the credit card hasn't you always say no well i there it's kind of it was 20 bucks and so everybody said yeah why not i've never driven a snowmobile before so you get a helmet and they take you out to this place and they got our whole group together we rented like six snowmobiles at once and then you have a little guide so you don't get lost in the woods and so we're all nice okay <laughs> that's what i'm talking about so so they get us all together, and they take this picture of us. Then we hop on our things, and we start driving through the woods. Now, the guide has these things. If, you, if there's like a caution coming up, the person in front goes like this, and everybody passes it down, like you're flapping a bird with one arm. And then if you've got to stop, everybody goes like this, and it passes on down the line. And he, this guy stops like I, all the time. Like he's thinking like some bear's going to come cull the herd of the snowmobiles or something. And he, every time he stops, he stops on a hill like this, going down. And not that I would ever drive too fast on a snowmobile. I've never ridden before. <laughs> I come over the top of this hill, and he stopped. And Jaron Rowan is kind of there. I'm like, ooh, and I let go when it's supposed to stop, when you let go of the gas, and it just goes, Bzzz. and I'm like, well, this is bad. So I grab the brake, and like a good Californian, I lock him up. You know, and, it, and so it just starts sliding, and I start trying to stop it. I'm off. My first thought, thank God I paid that 20 bucks for the insurance. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to hit him, and I'm not going to care. <laughs> but I actually did. I didn't hit him, and so we went through the whole thing. We come all the way back, and we go back to the place, turn our helmets in, and, and we come out and have all the pictures that they took. So we bought our picture, and this is what we got. Do you recognize them? We didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> he 
just not us. Like, who's the dude with the mustache? I don't know. So we, uh, we, we took it. It's great. So we took them all. It took me three days to finally get our picture, which is this one. Yay. So there you go. I'm the guy in the back touching, touching Jared inappropriately. <laughs> all right. Uh, again, men's breakfast is next week. You guys should all come to that. It'll be good. Oh, and people came in. Uh, you got to have chairs. Anybody have more chairs around them? There's two right there and two over there. You guys? Well, we, we can make it four because we can do the math. We're good like that, right? Over where Britt is? Right there. Britt, right here. All right. Stay with me. Read God's Word. This is Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11 to 13. And it says this. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we, as your people, we ask that you would teach us. We are in need of hearing from you because we stumble around in this world lost. And so we need your light to lead us to where we're supposed to be. So this morning, have your spirit shine its light upon us so we know what to learn and hear from you. Amen. Have a seat. So we are back in the Gospel of John. You open to John chapter 5. You brought a Bible. Good for you. And at this point, uh, we're not going to have all these breaks that we had before. We're just going to go through the book of John. Not all this morning, obviously, because I'm too, way too long-winded for that. So, but we will from this point on. I think I may take a break on Easter to do something else, but we're basically just going to go through the rest of the book of John at this point. Uh, today in the book of John, you get to meet a pathetic man. If you are here and you're pathetic, this is for you. This guy's this guy's a whiner. He is crippled. He's got lots of problems, and this is going to be very not politically correct. If this is your first time here again, welcome. Good for you. Uh, your first response to this guy when you hear this story is to get sucked in because he is so pathetic. But don't get sucked into his game, okay? Sneak with a good open mind. Don't get sucked in. And yes, I can be mean, but this guy likes to use it. Whatever. John chapter 5, starting in verse 1, says this. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, we don't know what feast this is. We know through the Gospel of John, Jesus celebrated three Passovers. This could be during one of those. Uh, later, Jesus went up to the feast of the Jews. Uh, now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Now, so you have a nice you have a pool of water, and it's covered by these colonnades. So you get shaved, so you don't get burned to death when you're at the pool. Why? The next verse tells you. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Now, have you ever been in a place with a whole heap of people who can't take themselves to the bathroom? Anybody? Anyone ever been to, like, a rock show outside? People stink? I've seen pictures of Woodstock, okay? and, and I would not want to be there because I think people need to take baths. It, pe- people are like hippies. If you're a hippie, good for you. But uh, pe- hippies are like, oh, it's so natural. I never take a bath. Ooh, it's so good. I'm like, no, you stink. Okay? <laughs> Progress equals showers. Go take a shower. It's good for you. This is a stinky place. There are hundreds of people unable to move because they are hurt, but they all want healing from God. Now, if you look in your Bible, if you brought one, how many of your Bibles go from verse 3 to verse 5? Right here. Most of your Bible should go from verse 3 to verse 5. Verse 4 tells what's kind of going on there, but probably wasn't written by John. 
It's not in the earliest manuscripts. There's a, there's a scribe who's reading this, and, and he knows what's going on. Up until this time, most people probably knew what was going on at these covered colonnades. And so later it comes along, and a scribe reads this, and he goes, oh, well, this should be in here because this is what was going on. So he writes a little note. Someone comes along later, and they copy that, and they copy that into the text. Now, some people will say to you, you know, oh, you can't trust your Bible. It's, it's been translated and translated and translated. You just can't trust it. Well, actually, you can. You can trust your Bible today because good scholars are constantly checking to make sure what you have in your hands is the most reliable possible. It has not been translated and translated and translated. It has been Greek to you, okay? Greek to English because most of you guys can't read Greek. And so you probably have a footnote in there for verse 4. It's not like some guy's like, oh, we need a verse 4. Actually, chapters and verse divisions. In the 1200s, uh, in the University of Paris, there's a lecturer, and he put the chapter divisions in there. In about 1551, there's another guy who comes in, and he puts all the verse divisions in it. You know why? It's kind of like this. You call up Domino's Pizza, and you say, I want a large pepperoni and olives, extra cheese, uh, whatever you order. Right? How's Domino's going to find your house? Address. Caller ID. <laughs> Because they're going to deliver it through the phone. No, no one's going to want to answer questions when I ask now. Because uh, Your address. You tell them where you live. They know where you live because of your address. It's the same thing. They gave a chapter and verse division. So when I say turn to John chapter 5, you guys aren't just like, well, that's in here somewhere. I don't know. You, know, you have it so you can actually get there. It's kind of like finding an address on your house. So you have this verse 4. It's probably not in the original manuscripts, but it is accurate, and this is what it says. It says, The blind, the lame, the paralyzed, and they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever diseases he had. So you have all these people, and they're waiting around because there's this legend that arose when the waters stirred. Someone would get healed. It's like great stories we have today. So-and-so was raised from the dead. No one really knows so-and-so or knows who they were or where it actually happened, but, but there's a story that goes out there. It's like these email things. You know, Bill Gates is not going to give you a million dollars if you forward this email to 20 of your friends. So stop it. <laughs> I get them all the time. Stop sending me forwards. I hate them. You, know, you get this urban legend that you know, the, the Darwin Awards, this guy strapped a Jado rocket on the top of his car in Nevada and slammed it in the side of a cliff. Didn't happen. But yet the story keeps going around and around and around. The story lingers. This could have happened at one time. Somebody probably could have gotten healed here, but now it's just kind of humorous. Again, not very politically correct, but imagine the waters stir. And you got, I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh. You got hundreds of disabled people trying to get into the pool. And the first one in the pool is the only one who gets healed. Is there a lifeguard on duty? The first guy's totally happy. Everybody else has a major problem. It's like, well, I'm, the, I'm blind, I'm paralyzed. Oh, crap. You know, what do I do? I mean, it's terrible. At least they all get a bath. Okay, that's all I'm saying. But imagine this. If it works, maybe just once. If it works, if you're blind, you see. If you're crippled, you're healed. If you're lame, you walk. This is a huge opportunity. If we had something like this today, who would be there? Everybody. Everybody. I mean, you if you had like an ingrown toenail, you would show up because you're faster than all the disabled people. It's moving. Bink. Sorry. Because you're hoping it actually works. All right, so that's the setup. This is where we meet our guy. Verse 5. 
One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, most guys didn't live 38 years. This guy has been disabled 38 years. I don't know how long he's been at the pool, but he's probably been there a long time. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, and this is a great question, do you want to get well? Now, it seems like an odd question. Your spouse goes into the hospital. You know, you go, do you want your spouse to get well? Nah. You know, of course, you say, yes, I want them to get well. There's, there's, you know, what's going on here? Why does Jesus ask this question? Well, do you think everybody at the pool really wants to be healed? Do you think every person standing on the side of the road that's homeless really wants a place to live? Do you think everybody that has a sign that says, we'll work for food, really wants to work for food? No. This is where I'm going to go. This is a lot like church. Not, I don't think everybody that comes to a church wants to walk in the ways of God and, and worship God and follow Christ. We've got to ask ourselves, what are we here for? Some people want to come and they want to whine and have an audience that people listen to them. Some people want a handout. Some are religious and it's just what you do. I go to church. You know, some dudes are here looking for chicks. Good luck with that. You know, many people come to Bethesda for various reasons. In a very non-politically correct way, are there benefits to being crippled? Besides the good parking spots. Yes, there is. Money. You get money. There are soft-hearted, big-walleted people. There are certain people in society who get labeled as victims, and when you get labeled as a victim, you get money. And certain people seek that out. When you are crippled, you get help and friendship and opportunity. People go out of their way to help you out. In our culture, everybody wants to be a victim. Everybody is striving to be a victim. This guy probably gets food and money from people, and he also gets people to commiserate with him. Because when someone's disabled, you just can't walk, oh, you're whining, cripple, and walk away, because then you're rude and you're mean, and, well, we just don't do that. You know, again, it's just like a bad small group. Everybody just whines and complains, and no one wants to get better. They just want to complain. Oh, I got the hemorrhoids. Oh, the hair is falling out of my head and growing out of my ears. Oh, my car runs terrible. Oh, my kids are doing this. I got no job, blah, blah, blah. I hate whining. Anybody hate whining? All right, then stop whining. So, you know, I hate it. When people don't want to get well, they love to whine and complain. This place is probably very loud as all the people are trying to be louder than everybody else playing the, oh, I got more bed sores than that guy, so give me your money game. I'm worse off. I think some people are legitimate victims. And at Element, we really try and find and help those people who are legitimate victims. We really do. But if you are a dude and you just don't want to work and you want us to give you money, we're going to kick you in the butt and tell you to get moving. That's what we should do. Uh, Most people, most people, I don't think are legitimate victims. I'll I'll state my court case here. Uh, On every corner, you got this sign, okay, of a guy that says, feed me, feed me. No. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. Being biblical means that guy on the corner with that sign is going to be thin. And then he will get motivated to work. Mercy and compassion. Single moms, little kids get compassion. Rape victims, molestation victims. A drunk driver plows in the side of your car. You get mercy, compassion. Somebody has wronged you. We help you to get out. But some people get into their situations because of their own sin. And they stay there solely for the benefits. Jesus says to this guy, this one guy, he doesn't heal everyone. He speaks to this guy and he says, do you want to get well? Because if he does, his whole life has to change. He has to get up. He has to get a job. Every week we come here and we open the scriptures and we have the scriptures examine us. And we have to ask ourselves that question. Do we want to get better? 
do we want our lives to change? Do we want them to seriously change? The essence of humanity is that we want things to change around us, but we don't really want to change. We want the consequences of our actions. We want to do the same things, but just have the consequences of our sin be different. Same thing, different results. The question, do we want to change? Of course, this guy, he wants things to change. He wants things to be different around him. And I'll tell you, if someone always whines at you and they always, oh, ask them this question, do you want to change? And then duck because they're going to throw something at you because they don't like that. Someone walks up to you, oh, how's it going? And they ask you this just so you ask them back. And you've heard it a thousand times. Your husband's a jerk. He leaves the lid up. He drinks out of the cart and he smells bad. Ugh, you know, it's the same thing. You see him over there and you run out the other door so they don't get a hold of you. And if they do, they're like, oh, I had a terrible week. And you're like, I know. You always have a terrible week. Do you want things to change? Then you duck. Then you say it again. Do you want things to change? I mean, I have counseling in my office sometimes, and people can talk for a long time. And, and after a while, this is why I'm a terrible counselor. After a while, it's just like, walk, walk, walk. It's like Charlie Brown's parents. They're just going. And I look, and I'm just like, do you want to change? Do you want? And sometimes people actually go, hmm, I guess not. And sometimes people actually say yes when they're in there. People screw up their lives all the time, and they, they lie, they drink too much, they watch things they shouldn't watch, and it's messing up their whole life. And you, do you want to change? Yes, but they don't really want to change. They want the consequences of their sins to change. They don't actually want to change what they're doing. People are so much more into their things than actually getting better. And so sometimes I ask, you know, why do you even come to church here? You know what I'm going to tell you. They go, oh, I like the band, or I think you're funny. Whatever, get on with life. I I, I love Jesus' question, and I love this guy's response. Verse 7. Sir, the invalid, are you looking at verse 7? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water's stirred. While I'm trying again, someone else gets in ahead of me. <gasps> blah, blah, blah. Wine, wine, wine. Every day, 38 years. Help me, help me, help me. And Jesus is like, ah, shut up. And I'll show you why. I'll show you why. If I came to you and I said, you want $100,000? You should say yes or no. You shouldn't go, oh, I once had $100 and I lost it. And my brother bought a house for $200,000 and he sold it and made a bunch of money. You know? Yes or no? Do you want to get better? Do you want $100,000? You throw it out there. You stop whining. This guy drives me nuts. Whine, whine, whine. I know some of you guys are like, well, I married that person. So I just... It's so terrible. I, I want to get in the water and someone takes their friend. They chuck them over everybody else and they get them. I have no one to chuck me in the water. And do you wonder why? I have no one to help me into the pool. I don't wonder why. People are like, yeah, we'll throw you in the pool, buddy. You know, <laughs> Jesus walks up and says, do you want to get better? And this guy can only think about commiseration and sympathy and he wants to whine and complain. And Jesus doesn't go for it. Verse 8, then Jesus said to him, get up. Exclamation point. Pick up your mat and walk. This is great. There's no cluster group. Not, oh, we're going to make you feel all better. Just get up and go home. Everybody at the pool is like, thank you, Jesus. Get rid of that guy. He's driving us nuts. It's like, get up and get over it. The mat has been carrying you. Now you get up and you carry the mat. It's like Paul says in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You get over it, you get up, and you get on with life. That's what you do. Thank you. Christ's authority is wonderful here, and it's instantaneous in his ability to heal. Verse 9, at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat, and he walked. 
at once. Then you know someone's going to get mad about this. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Sabbath. You're like, uh-oh, that's a, that's a bad day to do this stuff on. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Got to love religious people, right? They're just like nuts. I, I have some friends in town who are pastors, and they're really good guys. But they're, I, sometimes I go to these pastors' things, and they just drive me nuts. Because they crack these jokes, and they're not funny, and they're usually religious and at somebody else's expense. And they, I, they just don't get it. It drives me insane. And usually it's because it's like this. Pastors have a hard time distinguishing between what's called principles and methods, just like the religious leaders here. Principles are like this. You have God's laws, the gospel, God's decrees. These do not change. You love your neighbor. You pray. You spend time with God. The methods, though, much freedom and interpretation how to do that. When you study, which musical style you like, beer or wine, or if you're a heathen and don't drink at all, you know, religious leaders will typically elevate their methods and make them equal with God's principles. And they expect everybody to do it. Spend time studying God's Word. Good principle. Yes, we should do that. Then they say, okay, at 6 a.m. for one hour every day. Well, that's not in there. What if it's half an hour? What is it, 15 minutes? They even make this thing called the one-minute devotional Bible. Wow. You know, that'll just skyrocket your spiritual maturity. It's like, good God, next thing you'll be walking on the water with that commitment. <laughs> I would say read more than a minute, Okay. But what if it's at lunch and not in the morning? What if it's 45 minutes? You know what? The principle, you read scripture. The method is flexibility in how to do that. Principle, husbands love your wives. Good principle. Method depends on the woman. I will tell you, there's no three-step process because every woman is different. Amen, guys? Amen. See, we know. Legalistic leaders, they came and they made methods equal to the word of God. And they would say, it's written in the law. And it wasn't written in the law. It's written in the law. You can't carry your mat. Well, the guy's walking home. They're mad because God's working violated their methods. Half those people who are steeped in church all the time, they can't stand this. Liberals come and they check methods and principles. Hyper-conservatives enforce both. And solid Christians come and they take principles but leave flexibility in the methods. The religious leaders say, you keep the Sabbath day holy. God set aside to worship so you don't work. And what happened? I was healed. You can't do that. You can't get healed on the Sabbath. That's not in Scripture. That's one of the rules. And you can't carry anything. The religious leaders actually went so far to say that on the Sabbath, you couldn't carry a needle in your pocket because you may sew something, like your skin, apparently, and, and, that's, and that's working because you're sewing. You can't do that. This guy gets healed. Someone needs to be in trouble because their method gets violated. Verse 10, the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied... The man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. I love this guy. It's not my fault. I'm a victim. I'm a victim. I was healed against my will. I was just sitting there, and this guy, I was violated. That's what happened. I'm just sitting there whining. You guys know me. I just, I whine in the back all the time. That's my job. I whine, ask for money. That's what I, you know me. And this guy shows up, and he says, get up and walk. And he was so overbearing and rude, I just had to. Verse 12, so they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. This is a great guy. He didn't say thank you, didn't ask who it was who heals him. It's like, oh, I guess I should have asked that question. Who was that? It's like people all over our world today. 
You, common grace goes to every person on the planet. You wake up, you breathe air. Every breath you take is a gift from God. And yet nobody says thank you. Uh, James 1.17 says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And yet when something is bad, we typically blame God. You know, we even call catastrophes, acts of God. And yet when something goes good, we don't say thank you. I honestly say thank you for every green light because I've got a spiritual gift of the red light somehow. And every time I get a green light, I'm like, thank you. It's, <laughs> you think I'm joking. Ask my wife. I have this gift. I don't know how it happens, but it, it happens. I'll tell you, the truth is when something bad happens, that's usually you. And when something good happens, that's God. That's God. The guy didn't ask Jesus. Jesus slips away. Verse 14. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. I healed you. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now you know why he doesn't deserve your pity. Right there. He was hurt because of his own sin. He did it. If you sin, guys, there is consequences that come from sin. Oh, that's so sad. Well, maybe that's God's discipline for you. Sin has consequences. Our world doesn't believe that. Our world thinks we should be able to sin, do whatever we want, and there are no consequences, and that we should just get good all the time. And I will tell you, sometimes the good is discipline. In God's economy, sin can lead to pain and turmoil, sometimes physical disability, all kinds of stuff. If you drink too much, you will blow out your liver, and you'll probably wreck your car. If you do too many drugs, you'll probably blow your mind. Sin always leads to death. It robs you of life and will ultimately rob you of health and will eventually lead you to death. Sin will not stop till it kills you or you kill it. Sin always leads to death, period. People have these jacked up lives and they go, I don't know why it's this way. Well, are you a drunkard? Are you a glutton? Are you a sluggard? Are you prideful? Are you arrogant? I mean, that is sin and sin has consequences. Your body and mind are supposed to belong to God. What is done with that is supposed to be to God's glory. Spiritually, sometimes people rebel against God and they have to go through some trial or turmoil where God brings them back. Now, hear me clearly, very clearly on this. I am not saying that everyone in physical pain who is blind or crippled is because of some sin. Some people, they're just that way because of the fallen world in which we live. And Jesus was able to distinguish between the two, as we should have discernment to be able to distinguish between the two of those. So when someone comes in and legitimately needs help, we help. And when someone comes in who's just using it, we say, there's the door, or grow up. That's what we should do. Jesus heals this guy. He does not abdicate him his responsibility. Jesus says, stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you. Have you ever seen God heal somebody or who was just going through something terrible and God restores them to life and then they use that restoredness to just go out and start doing the same thing all over again? I see it from my position all of the time. All of the time. In Proverbs 26, 11, it says, As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. There's something an animal eats, and he goes and it makes him sick, and then the animal throws it up, and he goes, Oh, look at that. And then he eats it again. It's like, Oh, yum, yum, yum. That looks, that looks really good. I, th- I think I'll eat that. I used to have this dog. Her name was, Hello. He's like, Well, I'm walking now. I'm happy. He said, my, I had this dog. Her name was Shoes. And Shoes, she loved to eat garbage. I don't know why, what's so appealing about garbage to a dog. But she would, like, three weeks, this garbage would sit in the gutter somewhere, and she'd find it, and she'd eat it. And she'd come running in the house, and next thing you know, you hear this, Yeah, it's like, oh, I've heard that. Is that what that is? You know, and then, and, and there it comes out, and someone's all, you going to clean that up? And I'm like, nah, she'll eat it. It's true. And she eats it, and then you throw her outside. 
And then she can go throw up out there and eat it all she wants. <laughs> but the same thing is true of people. We do the same thing with our sin. It makes us sick. And we're like, oh, i got to get over this. And blah. And then we get it out. And then we go, oh, that looks appetizing. I think I'll eat it again. And you eat it and you go, blah. And you throw it up. People spend lifetimes like this. Eating the same thing over and over and over. And it makes them sick. And, oh, I shouldn't do that. But, oh, it looks so good. I'm going to eat it. And blah. And there it is. Oh, just... Num, num, num. It just looks so good. I think I'll try it again. And they throw it up again. And Jesus comes to this guy and says, stop it. It's out. Your life is clean. Leave it be. Get on with your life. Jesus knew this guy is planning on using his restored health to go back to what caused him this problem in the first place. And you and I do this all the time. We say, oh, Jesus, please forgive me. Oh, I'm so sorry. And then God restores you to, to life and friendship with people. And then you use that to go out and sin again. It's insanity. Do you want to change? That's Jesus' question. Do you want to get well? I mean, why give up smoking if you're going to take up crack? It doesn't make any sense at all. If Jesus heals us, we follow Jesus. Actually, Jesus says in Luke 11, that if someone has a demon cast out of them and doesn't give their life to God, it comes back with seven friends. That's bad. Okay? If you don't, that's bad. Stop sinning. I love the authority of Christ's voice. And this guy, this guy's great. He doesn't disappoint. He sucks to the very end. Verse 15. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. What a great guy. Starts a loser, ends a loser. He's already off the hook, didn't know who it was. Jesus shows up and he runs off to the religious people and says, I found out who it was. It was Jesus. Go get him. It's just like, what is this guy thinking? Jesus heals this guy and then he sticks the cops on him? What is his problem? No gratitude. Doesn't say thank you. Doesn't track Jesus down. Jesus tracks him down. The guy is in the temple. The temple is where you're supposed to worship God. He's probably in the temple because he has to verify this miracle so it can be placed back into society. So he's in the temple where you worship God. The incarnate word of God stands in front of him and talks to him. And he tries to get him busted. That's just insane. He wants Jesus to be in trouble for helping him. He is, he is pathetic. He's right back to where we started. I mean, and... and some people are like this. You've probably actually tried to help somebody somewhere in their lives, and they're so narcissistic, they get mad at you for helping them. You know, they, they say things, and you say, well, you know, you should really change what you're doing. And then they turn on you. This is called wickedness. In my office, when I talk to people sometimes, I, I tell them the truth because I'm kind of like that. And then they go, oh, you're so mean. I can't believe you did that. You told me I was sinning. And I'm like, well, were you? And they say, yes. You know, but you're not supposed to tell me that. Okay, you're supposed to say something nice. And I'm like, well, isn't it nice to tell you the truth? In John 1, it tells that Jesus came filled with grace and truth. And here you see it. Jesus gives this man grace, and he speaks truth to him. He says, you are healed. Stop sinning. And you know what the worst part about this guy is? Anybody? He's just like us. He is just like us. We are no different. I mean, we would love the story to end with, oh, and then he kissed Jesus' feet, and he worshiped Jesus, and oh, and happily ever after. And it's not what happens. The guy is a loser to start. He's a loser when he's healed. He's a bigger loser after meeting Jesus. And there's something that wants us to look at Scripture and say, oh, happily ever after. But the Bible is real because it tells the truth of what happens in people's lives. When you look at a story like this, you must always look for the hero. Always look for the hero. And who's the hero? Jesus, God. This guy is not a hero. He never asks to be healed. He never says thank you. He spits in the face of God's goodness. And people will come and they say, oh, we used to have enough faith and, and you'll be healed. This guy didn't have any, and he was healed. 
It's not the religious leaders. They're not heroes. They're legalists who have robbed God's grace. They impose method over principle and think they should be, their thing should be elevated over what God says. And the only hero is Jesus. Only hero is Jesus. Go to verse 16. And look at this is great. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. It's a great section. shows the deity of who Christ was, which we'll actually deal with next week. But this whole idea of Jesus being God, he comes and he seeks this man. That is wholly different than you or I. If, if you were Jesus, which is a weird question, I know, um, would you go to a, a mound of, of stinky disabled people? Maybe. Maybe unlikely. If there, would you talk to this guy? Unlikely. If you had one person to heal after talking to this guy, would you heal this guy? Unlikely. I mean, I'd pick a woman or a child, and, and, if I, and if I did heal him, I wouldn't waste my time to track him down the temple because he didn't say thank you or ask my name. And if I did find that guy in the temple and he didn't say nice things about me, he would be the sacrifice in the temple. <laughs> and instead of saying thank you, he sent the religious people after me for, for helping him. I'd grab that guy, take him back to the pool, I'd put him in the pool, and I'd sit on him. <laughs> but not God. But not God. Scripture calls God holy. He is completely different than you or I. This is the reason we are not God. There's a reason we don't dictate who is saved and who is not. Jesus dispenses grace. Jesus dispenses goodness. Jesus has healing power. It's why this guy annoys us. Because he is just like us. And people bother us who are just like us because we are so weird that there's only room for one of us. He is not seeking God, but God is seeking him. He is not crying out to God. He is whining and complaining, and Jesus comes to him, and Jesus heals him. He is not grateful, and yet Jesus offers him grace. And we are just like this. God's power demonstrated every single day in our lives, every day. And we don't appreciate it or we don't see it. And sometimes we resent God's goodness when he does try to discipline us. And yet God seeks us and finds us. He addresses our sins. And I love that Jesus does this for his children. It's one of the reasons we come to communion every single week, because it refocuses us. I mean, this morning, as, as we come, you've got to realize that Jesus is completely different than you or I. You know, if we were God, we would not have sought ourselves or loved ourselves or spoken to ourselves or renewed or healed ourselves. And then if, if we were God and then we got spit on, we certainly would not have chased ourselves down to speak to us again. But God has done that for us in Christ. It is why John goes here at the end of this, in this place where Jesus claims to be God, because he is very clear to let us know that this is God seeking us. God's grace is found in His goodness. God's grace is unexpected. And God is holy and He is different than you or I. And this morning, when we hear things like this, we must ask the questions. Do we want to change? Do we want to be different? Do we want to walk in God's ways? And then worship is responding. Or we pick up our mats, so to speak, and we walk. And we put away our selfishness. And we become grateful what God and Christ has done for us where we walk and we stop sinning and we respond. And when the question gets asked, do you want to get well? We say yes. We stop eating our own vomit and we want to get well. Again, that's why we come to communion every week. You take that cracker and you break it like Christ's body was broken. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice that reminds us 
of, of his blood that was shed for us. And it refocuses and sets us in a place where we should be because we should want to get well. We worship God through prayer. There'll be some elders in the back of the room. And if you're pathetic, as we all are, you know, and you want to get better, pray with them. And one of the questions I'll probably ask you this morning is, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? You know, we worship God through songs. The band's going to come up, and then we're going to do some songs, and these songs help to refocus us to where we're supposed to be. We worship God through giving. There's an offering box on the side wall and in the back of the room, and we give because God has given so much to us. And then, after we're done, I know there's a lot of chairs in the room, but you guys get up, talk to each other, hang out, get to know somebody else. Because part of God redeeming and restoring us and having us pick up our mats and walk and us getting better is so that we can again have relationships not only with God but with other people the question you must ask yourself this morning is do you want to get better and when you do and you say yes then pick up your mat and walk and get better let's pray Father this morning we as a people we as your people again ask that you would give us a sense of your grace and your goodness and that we would walk. We would pick up our mats that have held us, held us down for so long. We would stop living in a place where we just whine. And we walk. God, I ask that this morning we would hear the words that you long to say to our hearts. That as you say, this is what you need to leave behind. This is how you get well. That we would hear the words that you say. And in this time, I ask that you would remove the distractions, remove all the things that are going on in our heads that keep us not being able to focus on you, and that you would recenter us. And that you would make us want to get well. And that we would say thank you for the grace and the goodness and the mercy that you have bestowed upon us. And then after you have made us well, we would go and we would touch the world around us with your goodness as you live through us. Have us truly be your people. Truly honor you with all that we are. Amen.